My name's Terry, and I'm an addict. When I say that, I should say, my name's Terry, because my badge is sideways. And uh, I tried to fix it like this, but it does what it wants to do, like most of the things in my life. Um, if you've got a dinner reservation, don't panic, because I'm not going to be up here that long. Pretty much uh, everything that I wanted to say has... Pretty, thing I, pretty much anything that I wanted to say has been said. I just want to touch on a couple of things. Hello? Must be getting old. There was a time when I didn't need a microphone. I was extremely honored to be asked to do this, but kind of baffled as to what uh, I was expected to share on because I was fortunate enough to come into Narcotics Anonymous in a... In a uh, area, region that was uh, very small but functional, and um, I just really didn't know, know how much history I had to offer from a personal standpoint. Um, I grew up in Narcotics Anonymous in the tri-state region, and um, the man that I, come, that I look at humbly as the man who started NA in that region, his name is Bob P. Uh, his book is, the, his story is the first story in the book. And as Jim said, it was, you know, it's popular to say that uh, the Double Bubble Group started in 1978 was the first Narcotics Anonymous meeting between Milwaukee and Philadelphia. And since then, we've had other people claim to have had groups um, predisposing that, but one thing's for sure, the Double Bubble is the meeting that grew into several regions and probably a thousand meetings in the, in the last uh, 26 years, I guess it is. Um, but uh, the more I thought about it and, and the more people asked me about it, I, I, I guess that uh, since I was asked to come and I was taught not, not to say no, I'm not coming, uh, even though I, I really don't like doing this, you know, uh, I do make it a point to walk around my home group and grab people that I've never seen before and say, hello, how you doing? Welcome to the Brookline group. Hey, how you doing? Come on. I'm glad to see you. And if I get a conversation with them, I lay my phone number on them. Um, and I think that that's probably the most important um, thing that I do in recovery. I should say it is the most important thing, but uh, it certainly probably is the most important thing, other than not taking that first one myself. Because if I take the first one, then I really don't have anything to, to give to somebody else. And, and uh, I'm, I was uh, also honored because I'm a relative baby up here as far as clean time is concerned. You know, I... Um, and I don't say that smugly because I, I don't believe that, that just because you have some quantity doesn't mean you don't have any quality. I, I don't think the two are, are the same thing, but, but I think you can have some degree of both. And uh, I come to meetings. My sponsor tells me I should go to meetings to, to help the newcomer, but I'll be honest with you. My life is so complicated, and I'm such a plus at it, that I need to come here most of the time for me. And I say that knowing that I can't save my face and my, my butt at the same time. But uh, I need you people more today probably than I did 21 years ago because I really didn't have much to, much to save then. You know, I didn't have a life and never had one. And I didn't know that at the time. You know, I thought I was pretty cool. Um, but I need the program more than I ever do. And I think that's why that I, I still bear the, 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 the passion for it. And uh, this, this uh, weekend so far has given me a, a chance to reflect a lot on 
on why I love the program so much and, and, and a little bit of what's happened to me in the last, I'll say, 15 or 16 years. And um, the, the things that I want to talk about, you know, I, one thing I, I loved about this, and I, I loved to be in San Diego, and I loved the nostalgia. I mean, I loved it. I loved it. And after having been here a while, I, I think that a healthy family, and I believe we're a family, you know, you're my family, um, a healthy family is able to talk about crises and problems and, and the things that one of us doesn't like about the other one. See, that never, that never really happened in my family. You know, my father got a resentment against my mother's family before I was born, and I never even knew them. And the beatings and the violence that went on in my house against my mother and I, well, we just didn't, you know, we, we didn't have to talk about it. I mean, it was right there in your face, but as far as anybody outside the fellowship, we did, I mean, outside our family, we didn't have anybody to talk about with that. So when I came into Narcotics Anonymous, I brought that baggage with me, and uh, one of the things my recovery has allowed me to do is to, is to change that in my personal life with my children and, and, and my relationships. And I'm not perfect at it, by, no, by any means, I'm not, and I, never, I will never be half of what I would hope to be in that area. But I'm a lot better than, than, than could be expected with, with the background that I had, and I learned that basically from people in this program. And uh, I like to, to pass that on or to see that as a, as, a, as a growth in this program, that we can talk about things. We're not always standing around, rah, 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 yes, we agree. And um, it's kind of like area service and regional service. You know, people talk about how crazy it is and the arguments, and I can't take it. And the well, first thing I always thought about that was, you know, like, where did you get high at, you know? I've never been to an area service meeting that was half as chaotic as me trying to cop one day. And, and, and any day that I've tried to cop, we never stood around in a circle at the end of the cop session and, and said a common prayer. And the fact that, that 40 or 20 or 5 people like me can stand in a room and discuss business that, that all, all of us are invested in, that all of us care about, and there's very, and I say very few, there's very few fistfights, <laughs> that's a miracle. And I saw that right away. Not that I never get frustrated in service, not that I never get angry at someone, not that I don't have service resentments that I have to pray about now. But I know intellectually that my goal is to understand that we come together as separate, divergent people with a lot of disagreements. We hash it out, and somehow the thing gets done. And I know how important it is to help the newcomer, and I always will know that. The newcomer is the most important person at any meeting, unless I'm hurt. <laughs> then it's me. <laughs> but I also know that that doesn't happen in a vacuum. And I don't want to be fatalistic about it, but I also know that larger and more successful and more dynamic organizations than Narcotics Anonymous in the past have met their own demise to an attitude of indifference and intolerance towards the principles that made them viable in the first place. So for us to say we can do any damn thing we want here and God's going to take care of it may not be true. I'm not saying it isn't, but it just may not be true, and that scares the heck out of me. Because the little over 21 years I've been clean, if you people weren't here anymore, if this program started to fall apart, I don't think I could stay clean a year. Maybe not a week. And if you catch me on the right day, not 10 minutes. 
So I think that we need to be joyous, happy, and free, but as mature adults and as we grow in our recovery, at least for me, I need to be cognizant of the fact that this program does not function on any level without my participation as a member. And I can't always make my participation as a member on voting on somebody else to do the job. I, I, as I said, I grew up in the tri-state region, and uh, the history of it is, is pretty common, and it's exactly common to the other, like what Biff was talking about. You know, one, one half-crazy lunatic got clean, heard about Narcotics Anonymous, started a meeting, ran newspaper ads, went to schools, went to doctors, begged them for addicts, found one, found two, started another meeting. When I came into the program in the tri-state uh, region, it, wasn't, it was just starting to be called that. I think there were 12 meetings, and that was between Erie, Pennsylvania, uh, Wheeling, West Virginia, Salem, Ohio, and probably Harrisburg. And it was not uncommon for us to jump in. I'll tell you that some of the best meetings I was ever at were the meetings we had in the car driving to a meeting to support somebody else. And I mean, they were meetings. When I got in there the first time, you know, I still had that attitude that, like, there was the program and then there was life. And when you were at the program, you had to impress the parole officer or the MEP counselor or the, or the guy that was going to sign your parole recommendation. But now we get outside those rooms, and I heard these, you know, heard these other guys with some clean time reading the readings. You know, we're driving in the car, or reading the readings. We usually, usually let the driver didn't have to read. Usually. Um, and I mean, it just, it made it seem real for me. If we had a holiday celebration, and I hadn't been to a holiday celebration in years when I got clean, um, at the end of the holiday celebration, we usually had a meeting. You know, we, we just, it just happened. You know? And I noticed over the, the course of the, of the last maybe 10, 12 years that that doesn't happen anymore. And maybe it's not needed, but I miss it. And when we had a party for, uh, for the new millennium, we had a meeting at the end. And I think it was a little, a little strange at first, but people stayed and, and it was, you know, it was the first NA meeting in the new millennium, you know, for me. Um, and, and coming into the program at the time I did, and one of the things that, they, that we had, that we did or that other people had to do was drag people from, from AA into the program. I mean, the history of, of Narcotics Anonymous in, 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 in what we call the tri-state region now, western Pennsylvania, uh, northern West Virginia, and, and uh, eastern, uh, southeastern Ohio, um, had a lot of interaction with, with Alcoholics Anonymous. And, and when, if I was asked for my vision, or I don't know if it's my vision, because I don't see that well, but my hope would be that some, some things we don't have to just keep hashing over and over and over again, you know, that there's enough pool of experience, that enough um, areas in this world have come, to be, have come to have Narcotics Anonymous meetings in them after having Alcoholics Anonymous meetings in them, that we don't have to go through the blow-by-blow -blow problem that we have. We have a set of terminology and a set of literature. They have a set of terminology and a set of literature. Any member is free to go to any meeting he wants to, and any member that goes to that meeting really needs to keep his terminology consistent with that meeting. 
And I can understand a guy who's been drinking all his life not wanting to sit in a meeting and hear me talk about sticking hypodermic needles in my forehead. In 1955, Bill Wilson wrote a pamphlet, and he told AA members, if you want to help a drug addict, you send them to Narcotics Anonymous. Now, that's the end of it. Do we have to keep rehashing that all over again? If I go to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting because I'm out of town or because I want to be with someone else, I'm an alcoholic. And if I share it all, I keep it very, very vague. Now, that you may say, now, don't get me wrong, if, I, if, if something was happening in my life and I needed help, and I was at that door of that AA meeting, I'd go in and talk about anything. But if I go as a guest, and it's not a life or death situation, and I don't have to go there because there's a million Narcotics Anonymous meetings that I can choose from, and I'd rather be there, I'm going to do what the Romans do. Do we seriously have to keep doing that all over again? I mean, I, maybe we do. I'm just posing the thought. I'm just posing the thought. Um, another thing that was that was powerful when I came around, as, as Sally and Jim and Bo have alluded to, was in the early 80s, there was a lot of controversy in the fellowship. We were growing, um, and again, all this is my opinion. I certainly you know, don't have the corner, market cornered on it. Um, a very strong and, and, and new fellowship was springing up outside of California, particularly on the East Coast. And um, for one reason or another, we were doing things a little differently. You know, I can remember, so I went to my first AA meeting, and I love AA, but I went to my first AA meeting as a 20-year-old heroin addict in 1969 in my first detox, and I heard a bunch of old white guys sitting around talking about using God to quit drinking, and I'm an atheist and an agnostic at that time, and I thought, if they say God one more time, I'm going to need a drink. You know? And I don't say, I mean, that, that, that's kind of a cheerful, a, a funny way to say it, but my point is, throughout my prison experience over the next 10 years, I was told to go to AA meetings, and I went because it got me out of my cell, and I could sit there and drink coffee instead of laying in there listening to the four radio stations. Um, but I was told various things like, well, you, you, you suffer, when they say alcohol, you say drugs, and, and you shouldn't be talking about this in these meetings. And... Um, I mean, I wasn't going to get clean, whatever you want to call it, at that point anyway. But when I got to Narcotics Anonymous and I went to my first meetings and I heard what you people were talking about, and I understood right away that addiction was not, because I, I knew I had too many symptoms to just be a drug addict. You know, I had way too many. That wasn't a hard, I mean, I didn't even like ever say, I didn't, when, when people said addiction, I never thought they only mean drugs. I knew they meant, I was a little fuzzy on, does that mean i got to like get clean on everything this morning to get a clean date? Because I don't feel like not gambling. I know I'm going to have as much sex as I can get. And, and, uh, and I love food. So, yeah, I'll put the drugs down just for the day, but I'm not dealing with those other three. Um, but um, there was a lot of controversy going on. And, and uh, I guess it kind of became an East Coast, California type of argument, although I'm sure there were people in different things. And I think that, that a lot of it was misunderstanding. The clean and sober thing that, that the lady alluded to today about people saying they were sober kind of in a reverse way of verifying that alcohol was a drug. See, now, I've never heard that before. You know, that makes a little more sense to me than just saying, well, I'm going to say sober because I was in AA and we call it sober over there, so I'm bust. Now, it, it, you know, I can kind of understand that. I mean, Okay, now we all did that. Let's stop that already. You know, I mean, 
do we all understand now that alcohol is a drug, and that's in our, our literature, and do we have to do that anymore? You know, do we have, I'm not saying we don't. I'm just saying, do we have to do that anymore? And if I hear somebody do it, do I have to blast them about it anymore? No. You know, when I first came in and when that first happened to me, I was terrified because everybody I knew in the treatment and correctional fields was telling me narcotics anonymous didn't work. We weren't allowed to get notes signed for people that had to go to treatment facilities because we had gotten caught, not me, but before I was, got caught taking drugs into the hospitals during NA meetings. And that's why I get totally insane when I see people standing outside a church throwing cigarette butts in the lawn. Because we can lose that meeting place. And then that's going to be on that list for at least a year. And how many newcomers are going to come to the door and the meeting's not going to be there because you can't put your cigarette butt in a can? I mean, I just don't understand that, you know? Uh, I think that the, the saddest thing or the, the thing that has bothered me the most about the way things are, and Sally was talking, I mean, she gave me goosebumps when she was up here talking about her reaction to seeing how they were cut and pasted in this book and how that's never going to work, and then her revelation that, yes, it did work. And that, see, that's the, I'm terrified if it's not done that way, see? Because where I came from, that's the way we did things. And as a trusted servant, when I was the GSR, I didn't want you to give me a vote of confidence and send me down to do something because I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I'm clean 22 years and I think I know what I'm doing. But if you get me into a field of expertise that I don't have a lot of specific experience in, I go ask my sponsor. If it's something he don't know, I go to a lawyer, an accountant. I don't say, I'm clean 21 years, I don't need to ask. I know what you guys, I know what's good for you. And it was hard to come back to group conscience meetings and give people both sides of the story so they could make an informed decision without slanting it, you know, without giving my opinion until, until and if, and I mean if, I was asked. That's how I learned what a group conscience was, you know. And what happened in the process of that was that we would be in these group conscience meetings on a Friday night. My home group was, was the group group on Friday night. And um, we would have these, and, and half the members would be complaining about, we don't have to vote on this. What do I care what the convention committee does at the World Convention? Leave. <laughs> leave. We do the group business first. If you don't want to be here for the area, regional, and the world business, you can leave. The door ain't locked. But let the rest of us talk about it. We care. I can remember getting kicked out of the church because the conference agenda report was maybe 30 or 40 pages thick, and we wanted to talk about everything. Again, if you don't want to do it, leave. People did complain. There's too much going on here. Hey, it ain't like you're standing in here and there's a line of newcomers waiting for you outside. You're trying to get to the club. You understand? You've got a date. That's why you don't want to be here. I'm cool. And what happened was in the course of hashing all that stuff out, the newcomer, and I know I was that way, somebody asked me my opinion. You got anything to say? Nobody had done that for 20 years to me. You know? The judge didn't even want to hear from me. You know? And, I, and, and, and they only let you get away with complaining so long before they say, well, you know what, buddy, you don't like it, go down there and change it. See? And you knew this meeting needs support. That meeting needs support. We need an H&I chairperson. It was just the information flowed, and I understood what was going on. 
and I felt a part of. And no, I, I love my GSR. I voted for him. But I'll tell you what, the concept of servant and governor, again, is pretty clear-cut to me. You know what I mean? I don't have any service. But I have people who perform services for me. And I depend on their professional expertise. But I'm the boss. I'm the boss. I don't tell the maid, here, clean the house, I'll see you next year. Call me if, if you break something. When they clean the house, I, you know, I peek around. What's going on? If she locked the door and said, I, you can't see that till you pay me, I'm leaving. <laughs> she wouldn't be the maid anymore. You know? Then I turn around and I'm a college educated guy. And I say, hmm, government, what does that mean? And that means I elect somebody, he goes and does whatever he wants to do. And four years later, two years later, I can vote him out. Big deal. It's like really closing the door after the barn, the barn door after the horse got out. See? I always like those hands-on control. You know? Not out of trust. When I was growing up in NA, two people always counted the money. Not because we didn't trust the treasurer. We didn't want to put him in a position, A, of, of being thought that he did something wrong, and B, of maybe need, thinking, you know what, I could grab $25 here and go get high. If there was two of us, it, it might just be that little thing that stopped him. It was out of trust and concern that we wanted to main, maintain control of things. I'm not saying none of us, we're all control freaks, I am. But the, the, the program was not set up, the group conscience process was not set up to give a bunch of control freaks something to fight over, okay? It meant, and, and I know that those of you who have been around, and some of you that are new probably have no clue what I'm talking about, but we'd be in a thing hashing something out for hours, and then somebody would just, out of the clear blue sky, they've been sitting there the whole time, they'd say something and it just fit. It just fit. And that only had a chance to happen because we were there a while and because we cared, and as the ones that didn't care, I said, leave. Don't take it away from the rest of us. Don't take it away from the rest of us. Because what I feel has happened, and let me say out front that this program has grown exponentially so much that how can anybody say that it's, that it's wrong? I mean, there's 27,000 meetings. I guess there were maybe 1,200 when I got claimed. Okay? So if numbers is all that matters, Great, and maybe it is all that matters because it's reaching more people. But I'm a member, I'm a smart member and I have service and I have no clue what's going on in the fellowship. And having a business and having a family and having the IRS all over me and the government all over me with legal problems, I, you're right, I don't have time to dig out the information. I'd love to go to my group conscience and hear my GSR tell me about it. But I can't get anybody to be the GSR. When we have a business meeting, they just want to talk about the group. There's nothing comes down from the world. Nobody, they don't send 30 questions down to be answered anymore. Nobody cares what we think. Nobody cares what we think. I'm not sure that's good. It's not that I don't trust my trusted servants. I just believe they're servants. And I only, they're only capable of having so much trust. They should only want so much trust. And I'm, I don't know what to do about it. I really don't know what to do about it. But at least my little bit of history here was to tell you what it was like in my home group and in my area and in my region. The story about the basic text was a classic. It was a classic. They changed the book without the fellowship's permission. They just did it. 
fellowship didn't even care if they agreed with the change. They made them change it back. And then when they realized that, okay, now now you did it our way, now go ahead and put it back the other way because we do agree with it. Now people will say that was ridiculous. That's how it works. That's how it works. You don't let somebody take $50 out of your pocket and just coincidentally you were going to let them take that 50 to do something anyway. Right? I mean, I'm, 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 again, I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just putting this out for your contemplation and for you to think about it, especially if you've never been privileged to be a part of that, that type of group conscience that Sally was talking about with that cut and paste. That's what inspired me. When that book came to the North Side meeting on a Sunday night, and I started looking at that, and the guy that brought it to me said, I said, who wrote this? He said, probably 10,000 addicts. I mean, I just wanted to, to, to cry. And as I read it, I, I saw how disjointed it was. And when they talked about a professional writer, I wanted to blow the world service off and stuff. You know? It's supposed to be raggedy. And it wasn't terrible. I could read it. You know, I got 139 IQ. I understood what it meant. I wasn't embarrassed to hand it to a doctor or somebody and say, this is how our program works. It didn't sound canned. It didn't sound um, um, a con. It didn't sound like a sales pitch, you know? Yeah, I could pick the book up, and every time I pick it up, I find something else in there that I didn't that I didn't see before, you know? And um, I don't know. When they were, and, and the way that I understand the group conscience eroded was, we passed a, a document called the Concepts, okay? I was on the committee that began to research the service structure, which eventually turned into the 12 Concepts. And it's NA approved literature, I, you know, I believe in group conscience, so I can't say it's baloney. I mean, we voted it in. But, um, I just don't agree with the way that, that, that document reads. I just don't, don't agree with it. Everybody else has said everything else I was going to say. Thanks for filling this in.
And I hate to say we and they, but it's real hard to discuss anything without doing that. It's always the they that complains about it. Um, for years, in the tri-state region, we had service groups. You had a chairperson, vice chairperson, secretary, treasurer, ASR, RSR. And then you had the GSRs or the ASRs that came. We only allowed the elected representatives to vote. If you weren't representing a group or at the, area, at the regional meeting, if you weren't representing an area, if you were the chair, the vice chair, you didn't vote. You just didn't vote. I mean, we, nobody cared. But for years, and this is, again, this is just kind of a little piece of something that I think members should know about. For years, the fellowship, that is RSR, has tried to remove the voting rights from the non-elected members of the World Service Conference. In other words, to say, only the regional service representatives can vote. Not the trustee, not the members of WSO, not the, not the elected P&I chair, H&I chair. And because we could never get just the RSRs to vote on that, nobody would give it up. It was the, one of the single biggest divisive, disunit, just disunifying things going on in the fellowship. If I'd have been in the chair, I'd have said, hey, I don't want to vote. Let's let it go. Let's try it the other way. Let's just let the RSRs vote. Again, I don't know. But to answer your question, I would encourage you to talk to Jim or Bo. I'm sure that stuff exists, but the flow of information to my home group is so bad, and I, I take part of the responsibility for that, that I have no clue. I just found out they call them delegates. I bet I haven't known that before. But I really appreciate your question. And I'll give you my number. I, if, you, if you need help, I'll try to help you mine. Hey, I'm Maddox. My name is Mike. Thank you very much. You really have piqued my interest. And the thing I want to know about is what you said you don't want to talk about, which is the concept of documents. I, I mean, I don't know where other people are, but I, I just want to know what you don't want to say. Well, the, you know, it wasn't that I don't want to say it, it's okay. just that I, don't, I didn't have time to get into it. Okay. I believe that the phrase, trust your trusted servants, is used to authorize more, in, more action independent of the individual member than was contemplated when it was, than I think the fellowship even thought about when they were voting. Trusting your trusted servant doesn't mean you give them the bank book and the, and the car and your wife and, and you let them go and then, you know, call me and if I don't like it, I'll, I'll get back to you later. You know, it means let me kind of have a little bit of control over it as we go along. Now I can't dance. Hi, Dan. Uh, my question is twofold uh, on the uh, 12 concepts. Speak up. I'm sorry. Give me my question. My question, my question is to with the 12 concepts and it comes to how, first of all, is how long uh, was it uh, deliberated on and how I want to say about three, three or four years and appro just approximately how many people were involved in coming up with both concepts. Probably in a fellowship ten times the size of the basic text, the fellowship that wrote the basic text, probably one percent. Of a fellowship ten times larger, a, a, a representative part of the fellowship of one percent smaller than, than did the basic text. And I can't, one of my resentments was that I was so vociferous in my opposition to that type of thinking that I was asked to leave the committee. 
So I wasn't there to be able to. So it, it wasn't even started out to be 12 concepts. We were just supposed to rewrite the service, the service structure, and that evolved into the, the 12 concepts. And it was felt, and the argument was that the members spent too much time taking care of business to help the newcomer, and that we could start more meetings, and, and the newcomer and the members should be freer. And I, I'm telling you the whole, you know, that's just my point of view, but what the argument was from the front. And, um, and that was kind of how the whole thing was greased, and, and that was the motivation to pass it on down there. Anybody else? How did you pick the thing to be Thank you. That's a little sticky. I, uh, what was the microphone. How were you removed from the thing? Um, I was called up on a Wednesday and, and told that to, to bring something to a meeting on Friday that I was never told about. And I was unable to commit to coming to that meeting because I lived in Pennsylvania, the meeting was in California. Um, I had babysitter responsibilities, and I, you know, I was part of this PO that, uh, that, I, that I wasn't told. They said, well, everybody else knows. And I said, yeah, but I'm the only guy on the committee that's only on this committee. Everybody else is on, like, three or four committees. So they're out there every week. I mean, you got to understand. I'm a messed up as a businessman. I ain't the greatest husband in the world, but as a trust and servant, my heart, I made very few mistakes as a trust and servant. Only because I was so obsessed with, with, with staying clean and feeling like if I violated this sacred ground or whatever you want to call it, I would mess up. I would take on any assignment anywhere working the night. And to, and to be kicked off a committee because I couldn't make it to a meeting that I never knew about with some other factors, it, it, it just really, and that was one of the things I came to realize, that that kind of took me out of service for a long time. I never said I was not going to serve no more, because I love the program, that was people who did that to me. But it kind of hurt bad enough that I just kind of, like Zip was saying, you're around and then you, when your term is up, you get to stay with the committee you're with. That just never kind of naturally happened to me, because I just wasn't supposed to there. Anybody else? I appreciate you staying in your dinner. I appreciate it.